Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a new day, for another opportunity to know you and to love you through your son Jesus. We ask today that your spirit would open our hearts and that we would receive your message with joy and that we would go out and live it with boldness. We pray, God, that your spirit would empower each of us in every area of need that we might know your victory in our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's been a tough week. Um, Some of you know, maybe most of you know, some of you probably don't, that one of our church family members, um, Sarah Phillips, 21 years old, um, passed away this week of a drug overdose. I found out in the last couple, last night and this morning, that 24-year-old young man in Butler passed away of a drug overdose, and another young man passed away, I can't remember the county, uh, known to a guy in the church of an overdose, and one of the government officials comes to church here from Westmoreland County told me that just in the first two months of the year, January and February, 29 drug overdose deaths have been recorded in Westmoreland County. Um, it's become normal in this culture for us to, to see those things. A 21-year-old girl, young woman with a little 17-month-old baby who will never know who her mother really was, is gone. And we accept that as normal. It's not normal. It's not the way it's supposed to be. God created us for a different kind of a life. And, and we go to Facebook and we see people posting things like God needed another angel, which first of all is bad theology. Um, God has all the angels he's ever going to have already. He created them all before he created us. And uh, when we die, we don't become angels. We become resurrected people. Um, and that's what Sarah is now, and, and it isn't because of the circumstances, it's because Jesus Christ was her Savior and Lord from the time she was 12, and what happened in Sarah's life is common. It's not normal, but it's common, and I want to read a scripture that puts a context to what's going on in this world in which we live. It's been going on ever since Adam and Eve listened to the serpent and decided to be God rather than serve the one true God. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 6. And I, I, I didn't have, this isn't the message I was going to preach this week. The message changed yesterday. And so in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10, we read these words. Paul is writing to a church that's brand new, fairly new. And he wants to tell them how to uh, battle the things that shouldn't happen in the world. And, and he says, you have to know who your enemy is. And this is what he says. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Our enemy's invisible, but he's real. Many people in our day think the devil is a joke or a myth or a legend. The devil is not, never has been, nor will he be a myth, legend, or a joke. Well, he is certainly going to be a joke because ultimately he's going to be locked up forever. 
But right now, he's defeated. God defeated him in the man Jesus Christ who died on the cross to conquer death, sin, and evil. But the battle continues. The war is over, but little skirmishes go on, and there are casualties every single day. And Sarah Phillips is one. Now, thankfully, because of Jesus' blood shed on the cross, even though she died, she will live. And she does live because that's what the Scriptures promise us. Jesus died so we can live. And then some people will say, well, but she must not be in heaven because she died of a drug overdose. You don't go to heaven or hell based on how you die. You go to heaven or hell based on whether you know Jesus or not. If you know Jesus, then you go to heaven. If you don't know Jesus, then you don't. If you want to argue with me about that, I'll be glad to argue with you after worship today. But the truth of the matter is, the church of Jesus Christ, especially in America, has acted for I don't know how many decades now like we're, you know, little Nell put down on the railroad tracks waiting to be run over by the train. And snidely whiplash is winning. But the church is not now. The church is Dudley Do-Right. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it when you go home. If you're as old as I am, you know it's a cartoon. And Dudley Do-Right's the good guy, and Snidely Whiplash is the bad guy, and now is the church. Well, she's actually a pretty young maiden, damsel in distress. No, see, we're not a damsel in distress. We're the bride of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said that his church... Nothing would prevail against his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And I'm tired of it. I'm tired of us acting like it's normal for 21-year-olds and 24-year-olds to die of drug overdoses. I'm tired of us acting like it's normal for kids who are 12 and 14 and 16 to start drinking and smoking pot and then getting into cocaine and then doing heroin. I'm tired of listening and reading in a newspaper that there was a bad batch of heroin on the street, as if there's a good batch of heroin. You see, I'm not upset at you. I'm not upset at me. In fact, if you remember what Paul said in Ephesians 6, he said, the battle's not with flesh and blood. So I would ask you, if you would, for a moment, would you just pinch yourself? Is that flesh? So your battle's not with you. Pinch your neighbor just gently. Is that flesh? Your battle's not with your neighbor. You see, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against evil forces in the spiritual realms. This planet right now is the battle place, and we are supposed to be fighting a war. And most often, we sit by and read the newspaper and go, that's too bad, or we post on Facebook how sorry we are. And people still die of drug overdoses every single day. And people still start drinking when they're 12 and 14 and 16, and we think it's funny. It's not funny. And I'm not going to sit by and say nothing, or stand by and say nothing. So this morning, we're talking about prayer. We've been talking about prayer for five weeks now, and I was supposed to be talking about supplication, which is praying for our own needs. And I'm going to be talking about that. And actually, I had to put the context, though, because if we forget who our enemy is, in fact, right after this last worship gathering at 830 this morning, a guy came out to me and he had tears running down his face. And he said, I just had a guy pray for me. And he said, you know what? The devil tried to keep me in my seat. 
I wasn't even going to go up for prayer. That's who we're battling, folks. The devil is real. And he said, I have been trying to break addiction in my life for years. And I almost didn't go up for prayer. Because, and he, he got it right, because the devil held me in my seat. The devil cannot hold you in your seat if Jesus Christ is your Lord. Because all you have to do in the name of Jesus is say anything, and the devil has to go. But we give the devil a lot, a lot of credit that he doesn't deserve. He's a defeated victim, not the conquering Lord of this world. We are the conquerors. In fact, if you read Romans 8, it says that. We are more than conquerors. And so... I want to admonish us, to encourage us, to challenge us, exhort us, whatever word I can use to act like winners instead of losers, to stop acting like the culture can do whatever it wants and we don't have a right to say anything. We do have a right to say something, not just a right, a responsibility, an obligation to speak the truth in love. And I hope you understand, I'm not mad at you, you're flesh. I'm not mad at me, I'm flesh. But I'm really, really ticked off that the loser is winning battles. He already lost. But he's taking our children. And so how do we combat that? With prayer. Prayer is not a substitute for action. It's an action for which there's no subject, substitute. We, we battle it with the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. It's the only offensive weapon we have and this is serious stuff I'm talking about. You know, we don't come to church to get a nice message that we can go home and smile about. I hope you, you do sometimes. But today, I hope you don't go home and smile about this. Unless you're smiling, <laughs> the devil's got it coming this week. And he does. Every week. If the church is the church. So Jesus told us in the Lord's Prayer, in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, that we're supposed to ask him to meet our daily needs. How did he say that? Give us today the food we need. Give us today our daily bread. We say it in different ways. We, however we say it, what Jesus is saying is we need to ask him to meet our needs. And I've had some super spiritual people say to me over the years, well, I don't pray for my needs. You know, I pray, I adore God, and I confess my sins to God, and I thank God, but, you know, I, I don't ask him to meet my needs because, hey, he's busy, you know, and I could sort of handle it. But the take-home point for today is that God expects us to take our needs to Him. He expects us to. In fact, it says it right in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, and it says it all over the place. Every time Jesus talked about prayer, just about every time, He told us to bring our needs. That's what supplication is. It's a fancy word for saying bringing our needs to God. And, and so we're going to skip some of the stuff that we're going to do, and we're going to just turn right to the meat of, of Jesus talking about how God meets our needs or what we're supposed to do so God will meet our needs. It's in Matthew chapter 7, if you have your Bible. This one will be up on the screen. It starts in verse 7, and Jesus said, Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. And some people say, well, it doesn't really say that. It really says, ask and you will receive, seek, and you will find, knock, and the door will be open to you. That's what some English translations say. But the actual intent of Jesus is that we don't just ask one time. We ask and keep on asking. We seek and keep on seeking until we find. We knock and we keep knocking until the door opens up. Persistence and expectancy is part of prayer. Persistence and expectancy is something that Jesus expected us to do. Why? Because that's the fabric of faith. 
Faith is, is not something that we just exercise once and it's over. Faith is persistent. Faith continues and it's expectant. Last week when we were talking about Thanksgiving, remember Jesus was asked um, you know, to feed 5,000 people and he only had five loaves of bread, two fish. So what did he do? He prayed. He gave thanks. He gave thanks before the resources were there. Then the resources came because he was expectant. He expected God to do something and God did something. And, and so then it says this. For everyone who asks will receive, everyone who seeks finds, and then to everyone who knocks the door will be open. And you might be thinking, well, I've asked for stuff and I didn't get it, so have I. In fact, some of this stuff I've asked for, I, I, you know, afterwards, like if I, if I think about it, like a couple weeks after I asked for it, I think, boy, the day I asked that one, God was probably going, <laughs> boy, that's a dumb one, you know. I, I'm, I'm sure he didn't really mean that. And, and sometimes, you know, I know he's going, really? You're asking me? Really? Really? And sometimes he does. Give me the things that I ask for. But he, he, Jesus tells us something about this ability of God and desire of God to, to respond to our needs. And he says it this way. He says, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? So what is he saying? We are sinners. We're sinners. We're sinners. And we know how to give good gifts to our children. We don't give them stones when they ask for bread. We give them something better than bread, usually. And if we do that to our children, how much more will God, who's perfect, give good gifts to his children when we ask? And then it keeps coming back to this thing. Many of our prayers seem to go unanswered. Why is it that so many of our prayers seem to go unanswered? And I always think that when you ask a question that comes from the Bible, you should look to the Bible to see if the Bible gives an answer. In this case, the Bible does give at least one answer. It gives a lot more. But let's just look at one from the book of James. And James was the half-brother of Jesus, and this is what he said. You want what you don't have. So you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Well, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Sometimes we're, we, we, we want something and we just take it, which is sin. When we want something and take it, that's sin. When it's not ours, that's what he says. You fight and quarrel with each other, right? Then he says, sometimes we don't have what we need because we don't ask. We're too proud or whatever it is, or we don't think God can do it, so we just don't ask. And sometimes, he says, our motives are wrong. You know, I, I live in a, a rural place called Cabot. I need a car. I mean, if I'm going to do my job, I need a car. I don't need a Maserati. You know, and so when I ask God to meet my need by giving me a car, I don't pray for a Maserati. And somebody said last night, well, wasn't there a song about, Lord, give me a Mercedes Benz? I said, yeah, that lady died of a drug overdose, didn't she? You see, she was not in the world of reality. God will give us what we need, is what it says, if we ask him and if our motives are right. Those are two very big things. A guy came to me when I first went into ministry, and he came to me and said, Pastor, I have so many problems, and God is not answering my prayers. 
I said, well, what are your problems? And here, I found out the story real quickly. He was from India, and his brother-in-law had paid for him to come from India to America. His brother-in-law lived in a nice, fancy house, and he had given this man a room to stay in, a, sort of a little alcove where he could you know, do his daily living. He gave him three meals a day, and he said, I have to leave this house because he's a heathen. And, and his brother-in-law was a Hindu. I'll give him that. But his brother-in-law had got, got him out of India, given him a home, given him everything he needed, clothing on his back, all that. And God wasn't answering his prayers, he said. And I said, well, what do you want? He said, well, I want God to provide me a house and food and clothing because I can't work. And I tested it out. He could work, but he didn't want to work. And eventually he came to me. This went on for weeks. And he came back to me and he said, Pastor, I think that God wants you to provide for my needs by having me move in with you and Nancy. And I said... Funny that he did not tell me that. And the thing is, over the years, Nancy and I have had people move in with us who have had needs, real needs, that they couldn't meet in that moment. And, and we would always be willing to hear God speak to us about opening our home. But in this particular case, the guy didn't need us. And actually, he didn't need God. He needed to change the way he thought about things. And in the in the book of Philippians, Paul says this in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, do what you can do. And then he says, verse 13, because God is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God is going to meet the needs that you genuinely have that are going to be for God's good pleasure in your life. Because God wants to meet our needs and he has a desire to do that. So there's this process where God says, you do what you can do and I'll do what you can't do. But God won't do what we can do. And we can't do what God will do and can do only. And so here we are. We're in the midst of this situation. And I've had people come to me and say, well, you know, you know what the Bible says, Pastor Chris, is my favorite verse of the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. Well, in case you don't know, you shouldn't have a favorite verse in the Bible that isn't in the Bible. Those, God helps those who help themselves is not a Bible verse. In fact, I found out it came from Greek philosophy. Now, God does say that we should do what we can do, right? It says that. But God helps people, period. That's why Jesus came. God helps people who have needs that they cannot meet. That's the, that's the sort of the thing. So yes, in a way, God helps those who help themselves to the degree that they can. God helps us with the things we cannot do. And what are, I'm going to give you three quick things that God will give us. If we ask him that we can't provide, the first one is healing. We can't heal ourselves. Now, I know we think we can, and we've gone to doctors that told us all you need to do is this. You take this medicine, take this drug, do this kind of thing, and, and, and you'll be healed. Or you just have to have this surgery, and you'll be healed. And, and the thing that I would say is that there are medications and there are surgeries that are helpful, but, but they don't heal. And I can prove it. I mean, it's very simple. Two people go in for the same surgery. This person gets better. This person dies. So if surgery was the healing thing, then everybody would get better who got surgery. But sometimes we don't get better from surgery. And some people take this medication and they get better and this person doesn't. Healing is a gift from God. And, and every really, really good doctor knows that. They provide the climate for healing, just like a message like this can provide the climate for us to change, but only God can change us, because that kind of healing comes from the inside out, and there's three kinds of healing, at least. There's spiritual healing, 
And, and there's emotional or mental healing and there's physical healing. And God is in the business of doing all of those things. And I, I'll be honest with you. I've prayed for people for miraculous healing, and they've been healed. And I've prayed people for miraculous healing, and surgery has healed them. And I've prayed for people for miraculous healing, and they've died. And I don't know why he doesn't always answer our prayers the way we want them to be answered. But I know that he tells us when we have a need to pray. In fact, specifically, if we have a need for healing, James chapter 5, it tells us that. That we're supposed to offer prayers for healing. Anoint the person and pray. And a prayer offered in faith will bring healing. And if they've committed any sins, they'll be forgiven. So there's power in prayer. The second thing that we can't provide sometimes is resources. I'm not talking about the guy who already had everything he needed. I'm talking about you might really have a legitimate need that you can't meet. And God promises, just like in the feeding of the 5,000, he took five loaves of bread, two fish, and he, he miraculously provided. And sometimes God miraculously provides in our lives. And sometimes the coolest thing for me has been to be the one through whom God uses me to provide the resource for another. And so many times you all have been the one who has provided the resource for me. You've been the answer to my prayer. And I've been able to sometimes be the answer and the resource kind of a prayer for others. And sometimes God does that. But sometimes God genuinely provides resources that weren't there. And now they are. And then the third thing that, and I would say the most important thing, that God provides that we can't do for ourselves is salvation. We can't save ourselves. You see, we live in a culture that says salvation is for everybody. Basically, if you're alive and if there is a God, when you die, you're going to go to heaven because how could a good God send anybody to any place but heaven? The culture tells us that we shouldn't ever really be feeling bad because, you know, in, in, in our lives there's, there's ways to alleviate pain and suffering. And, and so, therefore, we should never feel bad. Pain is not part of this life is what we've been deceived. And I would use that word very, very specifically because that's what the devil always does is deceives. He tells a, a, a lie that's wrapped in a little bit of truth. And, and it's interesting to me how Paul, 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul told the Ephesian church in, in Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk on wine, which will ruin your life, but be filled with the Spirit. <coughs> and what he's saying there is, there is something that seems like the Spirit that will take the place of the Spirit. It will give you an instant feeling of feeling good. It will give you an instant feeling that everything's well with the world. It will give you an instant feeling of no problems, no worries. But it's not real. In fact, it will ruin your life. But what will not ruin your life is the Holy Spirit. And so when we're thinking of salvation, and we're thinking of it holistically here today in our body, mind, our body, soul, and our spirit, then what we need is Jesus Christ because he's the only one that saves us completely. He's the only one whose salvation is for this life and for the next. And what happens is we come to this question. Really? Is there really only one way to salvation? And the Bible speaks very, very clearly that there is Jesus. And we say, well, that's too exclusive. And so we reject it. Not because it's not true, but because it's hard 
but because it, it, doesn't, it doesn't agree with our culture that says that whatever you believe is okay, then we don't want to offend anybody, and we want to be tolerant of everything except for Christianity in this culture. And again, I'm not mad at people who think that way. They're being deceived. I'm mad at the enemy because he's taught people to think that way. I'm mad at the enemy because he is winning many times the battle that he's already lost. And so today, the opportunity we have is to say, yes, I want Jesus to come into my life. If you've never done that, right now, you can say, Jesus, I want you, I want to first of all acknowledge your God. Second of all, I want to acknowledge that you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins, which is any time I've turned against your will. And I want to, now I want you to come in and be Savior and Lord. Savior, save me from sin and death. And save me for a life of victory here and now and forever. And Lord, and then here's the hard part is that struggle that goes on afterwards. After we trust Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in our life, and that's a promise. And we can ask the Spirit to fill us daily, and we need to do that. And the Holy Spirit in the flesh, that's the old sinful part of us, is, is in a battle, and it tells us this in Galatians 5. I don't remember if I mentioned that. But Galatians 5, 16 and following, all of us should know this passage because the battle is real. It tells us that. And the Holy Spirit and the flesh are at battle, at war, and, and the flesh... The flesh wants what the spirit doesn't want, and the spirit wants what the flesh doesn't want. And so it says we're never free in this life from the battle. And on Wednesday night, for a moment, Sarah lost the battle and her life. And that doesn't mean she's in hell because she didn't get to go to heaven because of what she did. It was what Jesus did. And she doesn't go to hell because of what she did because if that was the case, then we would be talking about Islam or some other religion and not Christianity. And, and in, in your life right now, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you, you might not have even experienced this struggle because, you know, if the Holy Spirit isn't inside, there's no conflict. But once you do, there will be conflict. I just want you to know because so many stinking pastors are telling us it's just going to be a wonderful, easy life. And it isn't. It is a wonderful life. It isn't an easy life, but it's the only life. <laughs> it's the only life that really is life. That's what Jesus said. That's what his point was. And so here we are this morning. We're ready to pray. We're going to pray here in just a minute. We're going to have the Lord's Supper, and then we're going to pray. And if you need to pray for Jesus to be Savior and Lord of your life, do it. Don't let the devil keep you in the seat, and don't let him win because he's a loser. We are the winners. He's the loser.